Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, with Formula One's big prize now won, I'm asking, can we react more positively when the goals in our lives become no longer achievable? Plus, with talk of budget cap breaches inside the sport, what can it teach us about managing our finances better? Welcome back to Pit Lane Life Lessons. about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things. You only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won. So it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. As ever, thank you so much for joining wherever it is you are in the world, whatever it is you're doing right now, however it is you're listening. I appreciate every single one of you. So thank you very, very much for coming back and listening to another episode. We've got a few things to talk about this week, and I'm recording this on Sunday evening, the day that Max Verstappen became world champion in 2022. And there are a couple of topics around that and around some of the other controversies and goings on in Formula One that I want to cover. Before I start, though, I've just got to say a huge thank you to CarGods, CarGods detailing products who sponsor this podcast and are back again this week as a special partner. Really appreciate their support. It's really helping in ways that you're not yet seeing, but you will do, I promise, to grow this podcast, to make it bigger and to enable it to reach more people. And I appreciate their help. I'll talk more about them a little later on, but there are some great products, some great offers that CarGods have got for any car lovers out there. And especially as we build up towards Christmas, absolutely stay listening to find out what they've got in terms of some great products that will be brilliant Christmas presents from the for the car lovers in your life. Uh, thank you, Car Gods. Um, I also need to say a huge thank you to so many of you who sent me messages, both off the back of last week's podcast, but actually over the last few weeks. I hope I've responded to every single one of you. I spent a lot of time this week replying directly to every single person who sent me a message, to everybody who dropped me a review in the Apple Podcast Store. Really appreciate you guys. Thank you. I need more of you to do that. There are nowhere near enough people Enough of you who listen to this podcast on Apple products, there's nowhere near enough of you just taking a moment to give me a rating and a quick review in the Apple Podcast Store. I read every single one of them, and wherever I can, I'll repost that review on my socials. And if I can, and I can find you and track you down, I will say thank you. I dedicate a huge chunk of my time to responding to your messages because it's the very least that I feel I can do if I'm asking you to give me a little bit of your time in both listening to the podcast but also contributing in terms of feedback, questions, any of those things. And I've got to say a big thank you to a lot of you who did that this week. I want to say a special shout out uh, to Greg on Twitter, who just this morning sent me two videos of his sons, his two boys, aged 10 and 12, breaking pencils with their fingers, having cracked it after listening to episode 41. And the way their faces lit up when they first smashed through that pencil was a joy to watch. I hope 
it has a profound effect like it had on me and I'm hoping it has on my son who I taught to do the same method uh, a few weeks ago. If you haven't yet got any clue what I'm talking about, I apologize. Go back and listen to episode 41. There's a really cool trick in there, which I firmly believe can change your lives. And I hope I'm not exaggerating that because I know it changed mine. Go back and check out episode 41. Um, It's It's worth it. I hope you'll agree. Uh, So thank you to everybody. Right, let's get into today's episode because this morning Max Verstappen became world champion in 2022. Yes, we know it was inevitable. We know it's been coming for a long, long time. It's not a surprise that he's world champion. It's maybe not even a surprise that it happened this early in the season because he's driven fantastically well. Him and his team have been absolutely awesome. There's no other way to describe it. They've been uh, not quite faultless, but as close as you can get, I think, in a Formula One season. They've dominated uh, and they have really stamped their mark on this sport. Whatever anyone thinks about what happened in 2021 and the way that title was won, and we'll talk about that in a moment too, but whatever anyone thinks of that, in 2022, Max Verstappen and Red Bull have absolutely smashed this championship. They have uh, taught a lot of people how to do things well. In all the work that I do with companies, consulting and talking about building teams, operating in this high-performing elite way, I'm using Red Bull right now as the absolute model for that. They are doing things exceptionally well, and a championship is exactly what they deserve. Um, So congratulations to Max Verstappen commiserations, of course, to those who missed out. And this is where I want to start today's podcast, because if you've been fighting for a world championship, and let's look at Charles Leclerc as the obvious example here. Charles Leclerc started this season with a car that looked dominant. In the first few races, it looked like it might be a very different story to the way it's turned out. Charles Leclerc and his Ferrari were on top. They were winning, and they were winning comfortably. Yes, Max Verstappen might have been the closest possible challenger or Red Bull as a team, but it didn't really look they had any they had any answers to Ferrari at that stage. However, Max Verstappen and Red Bull have outdeveloped Ferrari. They have operated in this slick way that Ferrari haven't. They've taken advantage of opportunities that have come their way. They've put so much pressure on Ferrari, they've forced mistakes to happen. There is, they've pulled every trick in the book, Red Bull, to win this championship. But if you're Charles Leclerc, today was a moment where, although, again, it may not have been a big surprise, it was perhaps to somewhat, at some extent, inevitable. Today, it finally happened. And Charles Leclerc's hopes and dreams of becoming Formula One champion in 2022 are over. There is now nothing that Charles Leclerc can do to affect the outcome of who wins the 2022 championship. It's done. And yet we've still got a reasonably significant portion of the season left to go. So what do you do now? We're in a sport where winning is everything, where the outright goal at the start of every season, if you're in a top team, if you're a top driver, is surely to become world champion. And yet he's now got to go racing for a number of races, number of events where he can't achieve that. So what do you do? Well, look, he still wants to win races. Of course, the obvious thing is to say, well, I want to get the best result possible. I want to go out and I want to win races. I still want to show how good I am. And absolutely, that's what they will all want to do. Max Verstappen can no longer win the world championship. He's not going out to do that because it's done. It's done and dusted. So he'll be thinking the same. I want to go out and I want to win. I want to dominate this championship. I want to win by an absolute mile. I want to prove that I'm the best driver in the world. 
he will have all of those same internal conversations going on in his mind. But if you're Charles Leclerc, you've been beaten. The world is looking at your failures over the course of this year. They're looking at the things you got wrong. They're celebrating the guy in the garage a little bit further down the pit lane. So how do you approach the last few races? How do you deal with that disappointment? And what do you do next? And there was an interesting moment this morning when I was watching on television, when I saw the post-race interviews, after all that confusion about uh, Max becoming world champion. But when they interviewed Charles Leclerc, having got out of the car, of course, Charles Leclerc congratulated Max. He was magnanimous in defeat. He was humble. He was a good sportsman. Um, but he also said, look, we're going to use these last few races of the season to try and become a better team. And I thought that was quite interesting and worthy of perhaps a little bit deeper discussion, a little bit more exploration. But we know the, the issues that Ferrari have had. We know he's absolutely right. They need to become a better team. It's one of the areas of weakness that Ferrari have shown. It's one of a major contributor, in fact, if not the most, the most significant contributor as to why Charles Leclerc is not sitting here world champion, or at least still fighting to become world champion in 2022, because his team hasn't been the best team. Yes, Charles has made his own mistakes. He, in fact, made one today under pressure towards the end of that Grand Prix. He made a mistake and he's made multiple mistakes and the team have made multiple mistakes. And in Formula One, if you make mistakes, you do not win. But that idea of going to the final rounds, the next few races where there's no championship at stake, we're going race by race as a standalone event where his goal and his target and that of the team will now to become a better team. Now, that to me is a target that has that's infinite. It has no end. You can always be looking to be a better team. And I've done podcast episodes where I've talked about reframing goals to become infinite goals, goals that can never be ticked off. It's not like climbing a mountain and when you get to the top, that's it, you're done. Your goal's been achieved, so you've either got to find a new goal or you face the fact that from there on in, it's just downhill. The only way you can, do, you can go from the top of the mountain is back down again. That's not a, a good place to be. So an infinite goal is something much more worthy, much more worthwhile, much more sustainable, something that continues to keep you driving forward and has no end. Every single day of your life, you can have a target of trying to be better than you were yesterday. It's something that I have talked about, something I try and do on a personal level. It's definitely something that at McLaren, we reframed our goals to be just that, to become the best Formula One team that we could be. That's something that you can strive for every single day, no matter what the results. Now, in Formula One, as in life, you can do the very best job possible. You could absolutely nail it. You could have a brilliant team. You could have a brilliant car, great drivers. And yet still, things could conspire against you. Things out of your con control could happen and mean that you may still not achieve your goal. So no matter how well you perform, there are others around you that maybe perform better. There could be somebody that wipes you out at the first corner of a Grand Prix and your race is done. There are things that can happen beyond your control. So the only thing you can do is take care of the things you can control. Control the controllable elements in your life. Charles Leclerc talking about 
becoming a better team over the next few races is a great example of dealing with that defeat. And I want to flip this into our own lives and, and look at what we can do when these moments happen in our lives where we've not achieved something or something we've set out to achieve becomes no longer achievable. It goes, it's beyond our reach. Something might have happened beyond our control to mean that that can no longer be our target. It can be anything from achieving a promotion at work where somebody else might have got that spot. The space is gone. The job is gone. The promotion is no longer available. Someone else got it. It may not be anything to do with how you performed, but there might be somebody better suited to that role and they were chosen. So if that's your target, it's gone. It could be as simple as getting to work on time, getting to an event or a meeting on time. The very second something happens where it means that you can no longer achieve that, no matter what you do, that goal has gone. And this is where Charles Leclerc sees himself today. He had a goal, no longer can that be achieved. So he can't wake up tomorrow morning with the dream of becoming world champion this year. He's got to have a new target. And for me, when these things happen in our lives, the quicker that we can flip to something new, to reframe our goals or our targets. If we've got an infinite goal or an infinite purpose, these things are constant. It doesn't matter what's happened. As I said, we've always got the same infinite target that we can work towards. But if we're heading to a meeting and suddenly there's an enormous crash or they close a motorway for something further down the road and you're stuck, you're sat there stationary on the side of the road and there is no way you can move. There is now nothing that you can do to get to your meeting on time. There are two options in those moments. And I've talked about this kind of thing in earlier podcasts. For me, I've become very good at doing this. And it, it actually other people find it strange that instead of stressing about the fact that I can no longer reach my meeting on time, I have this ability now built into me or developed in me where I can immediately switch. The second it's not achievable anymore, I can immediately switch and I can relax. I can become totally at peace with the fact that I am not going to get to that meeting on time. And I'll take a deep breath and I will calm down and I'll start refocusing my attention on what I can do and what I can control. Can I make a phone call from my car? Can I speak to somebody to get that message through? Can I adjust my schedule to cope with what's now happened that was beyond my control? Can I do something about it with the calmness and the clarity and the thought capabilities that I have when my brain is in that mode? Things that I wouldn't be able to do if I was stressed and worried and fretting about not being able to get there on time, even though there's nothing I can do about it. If you're Charles Leclerc, it would be easy to do that in this moment today. He can no longer achieve the dream that he's probably had since he was a small child. What does he do? Does he wake up tomorrow morning panicking, worrying about it, stressing over it, beating himself up over it? Or does he reframe what he's setting about on every single day? What Does he reframe the purpose of his days, the purpose of his race weekends. And that, for me, in that interview, was exactly what he did. Without even any thought, without even a moment to think about it, his immediate response was, we can work, using these last few races, we can work on becoming a better team. He's already switched his mindset into what he can learn, what he can do, how he can get the most out of the remaining races. 
It's a rare opportunity to put your race car on a track through a Grand Prix event without the pressure of chasing a championship. And if any team, if anybody needs that, needs experience and time on track and time in a Grand Prix event without pressure, it's Ferrari. They need to steady the shit. They need to settle themselves, figure out where they're going wrong, experiment, try a few things. That's how you become better. That's how you learn. That's how you become a better team. And that is exactly what Ferrari is setting out to achieve over the next few rounds, according to Charles Leclerc. I think it's something that's really valuable to all of us. I think it's something that we can and should all strive to be better at in our own lives. The very second the thing that we wanted is no longer there, what's next? What can we turn our attention to? Are we going to waste time just getting stressed and angry about it? Because all that does is literally waste time. It doesn't just waste your time in that moment. It prevents you opening up another opportunity. It prevents you getting closer to a goal that you might be able to get to if you start right now. Yes, of course, we fight to the death. We give everything we can all the way through. Even when Charles Leclerc, when it was obvious this was going to be a Max Verstappen championship, Charles never gave up. He was never going to give up. It's a little bit like last year in the 2021 championship. Towards the end of that season, going into the last rounds, it looked like it was Lewis Hamilton's day. On that last day in Abu Dhabi, everything had gone Lewis Hamilton's way. He'd driven brilliantly. He deserved the championship. But Max never gave up. And whatever we think of the controversy that surrounded the decision-making process and the way it eventually turned out, the very fact that Max never gave up right to the end of that Grand Prix was what gave him the chance when circumstances conspired to give him that opportunity. And that weird set of occurrences played out in the last few laps of that race. Max was only able to take advantage of that because he'd never given up. And Charles was trying to do exactly the same thing. It's what any top sportsman or woman, any top, any top competitor in any walk of life, quite frankly, should be doing. Never giving up and fighting all the way until the opportunity is gone. Even if there's a slim chance, you just never know what's going to happen. So you dig in and you keep fighting until it's gone. But the very second it's gone, literally the second that opportunity or that chance has gone. The second that goal can't be achieved any longer, like is the case for Charles Leclerc today, you should be switching your focus onto what you can achieve. What can you do? What's in your control now? How can you best make use of the time? Because the very worst way of making use of your time in those kind of moments is to fret and worry and stress and get angry and beat yourself up about what's gone wrong, about why you didn't achieve it. It's destructive. Whereas actually we can be constructive, we can be productive if we flip our attention, if we flip our focus very, very quickly. And I think it's one of those things that I've talked about this before, about the idea of taking a deep breath. Just one deep breath really helps. And in a moment like that, a, a huge deep breath, massively long intake of breath through the nose, holding it, and then a very slow and controlled, even longer breath out. Just one of those, I mean, if you've got time more, but just one of those can be enough to reset everything. And if you've built this mindset, having listened to this podcast, having worked through the 
moments in your life when these things have happened before. Looking at how you dealt with them. Did you deal with them well? Did you waste time? Did you miss out on further opportunities because of the emotional reaction you might have had to losing out? And if you did do those things and you start to analyse them in your own head, the next time it happens, link it to this big, deep breath. So you can practice it. You can take the big, deep breath, calm your breathing, reset your mind, and link that to this idea of refocusing onto the next challenge or the next opportunity. It's something that we can practice and we can get better at. And we can do it in moments right now. We can do it anytime. We can start to take the deep breath and refocus onto what's coming next. Another challenge that we've got to achieve or something we've got to work on. Linking the two by doing them over and over again, it sort of creates little neurological pathways where next time you take a great big deep breath like that, if you've practiced it enough and it's ingrained in you now, the next time you take that huge deep breath in and the slow controlled exhalation, you'll kick in, your brain will kick into the thing that you've linked to it, that you've tied to it through repetition over and over again, then it will be refocusing on the next available opportunity or challenge. And I promise you, if you can manage to do that, and you can do it maybe every day, every sort of every morning, go through a routine of just practicing that, slowing your breathing, calming yourself down and focusing on what you've got to achieve next. It might be the first thing on your job list during the day. Do it at lunchtime on the next thing on your job list. And there will be occasions like the one that I've described, like the one Charles Leclerc is facing right now. There'll be occasions every day when these things happen, when you were trying to get something across the line and now it's gone. And don't get me wrong, if there's still a chance, you keep fighting for it. If it means something to you, if it's worthwhile to you, you keep digging your heels in your fight. But if it's gone, take your deep breath and refocus on the next opportunity. And I thought it was something valuable. I thought something that Charles Leclerc did very, very well today. It's something that really helps me, especially in those moments when, you know, I said before, I hate being late and I will do all sorts in anything in my power to avoid being late. I will leave ridiculously early for some events to make sure I'm not there late because I hate that. It stresses me out. It's probably one of the very few things that stresses me out in my life. And so I'll account for that. I'll try and mitigate against that happening. But if it happens and I can no longer get there on time because of something that's gone on, I can take the deep breath, I can refocus and I can very quickly let that go. Let it just wash away because I can't do anything about it. And I know that me stressing about it anymore isn't going to help. In fact, it will do the opposite of help me. It will hinder me. It will slow me down and it'll prevent me catching an opportunity that might be just across the next crest of a wave. So taking the breath, refocusing and resetting and go for the next opportunity. What's next on your list? Charles Leclerc looked at what he can learn off the back of this season, what things they haven't done well and they can use the time to get better at. A really valuable process. And like Charles Leclerc is doing, if you can't win the world championship, what can I do the next time we come to an event? I can refocus on becoming a better team. We can refocus on becoming a better team. And if you have lost out or failed in some way, 
Try and link that moment of calm and the deep breath to understanding why it didn't work out and why you failed, what you can learn from it, and then how you can go about trying to improve on that, prevent it happening again, and take a step forward so it becomes a positive emotional experience rather than a negative one. Okay, talking of positive experiences, I want to take a moment quickly to talk about cargods.com, cargods car detailing products. I mentioned earlier on that Christmas is round the corner, whether we like it or not, it's coming. And I've been on the cargods website today, just looking at things. I obviously have a lot of colleagues and friends in the car industry or car enthusiasts, people that are either in or at least passionate about the automotive industry and their cars. And car gods have some incredible things that we can all start thinking about when it comes to Christmas presents. I'm going to save the big one because there's one that I just think is the best present ever, uh, partly because I got it last year and I loved it. But let's start with a couple of things. The the car detailing starter kit, I think is a great present. It's about 35 quid and it comes with a starter kit of all of the different bottles you need to clean all aspects of your car. And it's such a good little basic kit. It's not got too much, but it's got all the things you need to get yourself going. And Cargods right now, when you buy any of their kits, are chucking in a Cargods bobble hat, a woolly hat, which, come on, it's getting cold out there, guys. This is a great little gift. So for 35 quid, a starter kit for car, uh, car detailing is a great way to surprise somebody in your life who's into their car, who has a car, who wants to protect it and look after it and make it shine. Uh, there are kits for the exterior. There are kits for in interior cleaning. There is an ultimate detailer's kit, which I mean, literally is the ultimate. It has the very best of everything that car gods make. And I can tell you having used those things, that's pretty epic. But the one I really want to tell you about is the car gods detailing advent calendar. My goodness, this is just unbelievable. It comes in a great big box and every single day in December, you can open one of their compartments and pull out a small gift, a miniature. In fact, some of them are even full size, but a product from the Car Gods detailing range. It's amazing. Honestly, as I said, I got it last year. And if you've got somebody special in your life that you need a big gift for, but they are into their cars, this is the one for them. The Car Gods Advent Calendar. Go check it out at cargods.com. You won't be disappointed. Thank you very much, Car Gods, for being a big part of this podcast in season five. I appreciate it. Okay, let's move things on. Now, uh, around a week ago, just over a week or so ago, in the Singapore Grand Prix weekend, a few stories began bubbling up and emerging around some speculation, as it was at that point, some stories about how there potentially could have been some breaches of Formula One's budget cap regulations, the financial regulations that now govern how the teams spend their money and how much money they spend over the course of every season. As I'm sure everybody is now aware, there was speculation that at least two teams had fallen foul of those regulations in the 2021 season. So effectively, they'd spent more money than they were allowed, was the allegation. Now, as I said earlier, I'm recording this on the Sunday night of the Japanese Grand Prix. We, ex we expect that on Monday, so that's tomorrow, we will get the findings of the FIA's financial investigation, if you like, into uh, how the accounts were submitted and what those accounts uh, contained from all of the 10 teams across the 2021 20, uh, season. Effectively, we will find out 
in theory at least. We'll find out if anyone breached those regulations by how much and how they breached them and potentially even what will happen to those teams if indeed anybody did. Now, as these stories began bubbling up last weekend, and they became quite big news quite quickly over the Singapore Grand Prix as word began to spread and the stories began to get replicated across multiple publications uh, and websites and that kind of thing. News broke very, very quickly. And these things, as they have a habit of doing, escalate very quickly. They became a part of the broadcast that I was part of as we were, as I was commentating on the Singapore Grand Prix. We had to talk about it because it's a big story, even though we had no actual real news at that point. We had no details. We may well get those details by the time many of you are listening to this podcast, but only time will tell because we were supposed to get them last week. But anyway, as this story was bubbling up over the course of the Singapore Grand Prix weekend, somebody on Twitter messaged me, and I think it was probably half joking, and they said... Uh, Hey Elvis, your next Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast, in the next one you should perhaps talk about uh, budgets and how we can all learn to manage our money better. And of course he was saying that quite tongue-in-cheek because all of the talk inside the sport at the time was about budgets, managing budgets, blowing budgets, breaking the cost cap regulations and the, the joke was perhaps you should tell us about how to manage our money. And I looked at it and I sort of replied with a laughing emoji I think at the time, But actually, I've been thinking about it a bit more. And I do believe there may well be some lessons that we can learn. And you have to bear with me the fact that this is still based around speculation until we get any concrete news. So I'm going to use it, though, as an example or as a model. So if we take the idea that a team in Formula One has breached the cost cap regulations by a set amount without knowing if anybody has... I'm just using as an example, what can we learn about managing our budgets and our finances? Because let's face it, these are a massive challenge. This is a huge challenge for Formula One teams in the sport right now. But it's a challenge that every one of us will be facing every single day, perhaps even more so than ever right now as we go through a financial squeeze in the world economy. In the UK, we are on the brink of recession, if not already in one. Things are getting hard. The cost of living is rising. And so managing our money becomes even more tricky and even more important that we do it well if we want to stay afloat. If we want to say the right side of various rules and regulations, if we want to be able to survive, we have to manage our money. Now, in Formula One, the way this happens is very roughly this. The teams have a budget cap, a limit. And for argument's sake, and I know there are all sorts of nuances to this, but in our example, let's say that budget is 145 million. So if we've got 145 million that we're allowed to spend, that's effectively our income for that year. So in a Formula One team, you're going to get that income from sponsors, from TV money, prize money, perhaps the owners, uh, shareholders, you're going to bring in 145 million because that's all you're allowed to spend in our theoretical example here. So your income is 145 million and then you've got a series of expenses. There are things that we have to spend money on just to operate the team. The very basic expenses of things like running the factory, keeping the lights on, keeping the factory the factory powered up, 
employing the staff that we need to build the cars, to design the cars, buying in raw materials that we're going to produce the components for those cars for. There's obviously things like travel, hotels, there's logistics of getting these people and their freight around the world to compete in this world championship. The list is seemingly endless of what it costs us to go racing and to survive as a Formula One team. But after we've gone through our basic expenses, the things that we absolutely cannot survive without in the world of Formula One. And I am also very well aware that that is to some extent subjective. The teams at the top end of the grid will have a very different set of what they would call basic expenses to those at the bottom. It's a very simple fact that the top teams have more people than the teams at the back of the grid. And the teams at the back of the grid are not even operating with the same level of income. So they're not at the budget cap. They don't have 145 million, some of them. So they operate on different levels. But that's almost like a reflection of life. Because if you look at a cross-section of society and you look at a cross-section of the world, there is a vast array of different income levels, of expenditure levels, of what one person might deem necessary to survive, another might deem that very differently. So when it comes to our budgets, it's kind of the same thing, right? Because if a Formula One team has these basic expenses, then whatever's left between their basic expenses and the budget or the income that they've got of 145 million, that chunk that is between those two numbers is what they then have to decide on where to put that money, where to spend that money. And the way they decide that is how they think they'll get the best return on their investment for the remainder of their budget. Where to place the remainder of their income to get the best return on that investment. Now, in Formula One, of course, ROI, return on investment, might be deemed making the car go faster. It might be performance in terms of technical performance, sporting performance. It might be human performance. They might invest that money in better people. They could invest it in better machinery, better equipment to build these cars, better computer systems, simulation systems. There are all manner of different things. You could, in theory, build something out of a more expensive but lighter and stronger material because that would save you weight and effectively might make your car go more quickly. But if it costs more money... You have to weigh up what performance increase you might get for that extra spend that you've got to dish out in terms of buying those materials. I'm being very, very generalistic and theoretical here, but you get what I'm trying to say here. But so that's how a Formula One team more or less operates. Basic expenses, they've got their total income of 145 million. Let's say the basic expenses were 70 million. Then the rest, the other 75 million, well, that is there up to them to decide where they want to put it. What do they want to spend it on? Do they want to fly their staff first class out to a Grand Prix or do they want to save a bit of that and put them in economy, leaving a little bit more to spend on something like the car? But is the downside of that, is the cost of doing that, even though they might save a little bit money on the air ticket, is the cost that everyone's going to get to that long haul race on the other side of the, of the, the world, tired, stressed, not in anywhere near as good a place as they would have been if they'd gone in first class, for example. I don't know the answer. That's something they weigh up and they would have to decide whether if for them that delivers a better return on their investment and which way they want to go. But it's kind of the same thing for us, 
Because for us, and if we take a person who, let's say, has 145,000, just to keep the numbers easy, as their income, that's how much they might earn. And I don't judge that number. I'm making that number up because it's the same as the, as the Formula One number in our example. Just instead of millions, we'll go for thousands. They may well have 145,000 coming in. They might well have 70,000 per year of absolute basic expenses. Things like putting a roof over their head, clothing them. There are basic needs that a human being needs. It's the food and sustenance. It's the shelter, somewhere to live, somewhere to keep you dry and warm. Clothing so that you can wear and stay warm. You've got to have things like, be you've got to be able to get to your job. You might have to have a car or you might have to have access to public transport to be able to travel to your place of work to earn that money that you need or you have coming in as your income. If you've got children, the same things will apply to those. You'll have to get them to school. So you might have operating costs for a car. These are all the sort of basic needs for this particular person who's bringing in 145000 Let's say their expenses are 70000 to keep the numbers the same as the Formula One example. That then leaves them 75000 to do what they want with or to decide where they want to put it. And this is where I think we can perhaps take a lesson or learn something here, because that decision, which is the same decision, more or less, that a Formula One team has to make about where to place that money, where best to spend the remainder of your money, having got the basics out of the way, the survival element, that's done. You've spent that money, so you're surviving. Now you're trying to compete. In Formula One terms, now you're trying to win the world championship with what's left, Do you spend a huge amount of money on bringing a superstar driver in? And I know driver salaries are not included in the Formula One cost cap. This is an example. Do you spend big money on a driver or a top designer? Because the extra expense you spend on that person, in theory, will bring extra performance to the team and to the car. It will directly translate into a better chance of winning the world championship. And therefore, you can justify that extra spend on that one person because you think the extra spend will give you a better return on your investment than spending that same extra amount of money across three people at a lower level in the team. Same kind of principles apply to us. If we've got our 75,000 to decide where we're going to spend it so that we can compete at the highest level, And when I say compete, that could be in anything. It could be in your own small business. It could be in life. I'm talking about competing for success, whatever that might look like to you. How are you going to make the best chance of making yourself and your family happy, your children? Best chance of giving your children a step up on the ladder or an opportunity to do something that they want to do in life. Where would you spend your money to do that? How are you going to improve the happiness ratio of the people in your family or in your household or in your company? Where can you put money out of that pot of usable income into an area that's going to give you the biggest thing that's, that has benefit to you in return? And this is where the big question comes in. What is it that you place the most value on when it comes to spending your money? In a Formula One team, they will ask themselves very similar questions. 
Where do they see the most value? And now in a budget-capped era, they have to think very, very meticulously and carefully about what they determine as giving them the most value. Formula One teams employ uh, AI now. They're using very complex simulation systems to help them to decide where to put their money, even down to which of the multiple design ideas that come through the drawing office will give them the best shot at delivering additional performance to the car. If you get 100 ideas come through from the drawing office, they're using AI and simulation to very quickly, without having to build and test all of those different ideas, to very quickly determine which ones will give you the highest chance of working or delivering that extra performance than others. And using those simulation tools, they can very quickly narrow those 100 ideas down to maybe 10. And actually then they can use their experience, they can either make all 10, they can push the production button on them and go, or they can narrow it down further if they have to, if they need to reduce the budget further. But it's all about deciding what will offer the most value for the money that you've got available to spend on that thing. And what is it that you're trying to achieve with that? And if we think about that in our own lives, the same kind of thing applies, doesn't it? We have to think about what is it that offers most value to us? And if I think about my own life, you know, compared to somebody else's, and there's no right or wrong here, but I'm just talking about differences that people have. Different people think of things in different ways. They place different values on different things and different outcomes in life. For me, one of the things I place the most value on in my life is experiences, traveling, seeing the world, opening my eyes and the eyes of my children up to different cultures and different ways of looking at the world. I'm really keen, as is my wife, to show my children the world as best we can. And so much of my spare money, whenever I have some, doesn't go on buying cars. It doesn't go on buying big things, expensive things. It will often go on taking a trip somewhere, going to see a place, going to have an experience, to see or learn about something. We perhaps go on more inadvertent inadverted commas holidays or trips or adventures as I much prefer to call them than some other people would do and some people think it's crazy that we might spend what we spend on doing those things but to me that has a huge amount more value than some of my friends that have a big car collection for example that have a watch collection Yes, of course, there's nothing wrong with those things, and many of them are good investments for, those, for that money. They will return an, ing- an even greater uh, financial result in the end. That car might, might increase in value. That watch might increase in value. So there's nothing wrong with those things. They are actually really good investments in many cases. But for me, I feel like I'm investing in my children and in my family and in me by putting some of that spare money, if that's what we're going to call it, to seeing the world and opening up our eyes to new adventures and opportunities that we would otherwise no way get access to. And that's simply a difference of opinion on where we place the most value in our lives. And so that's the first question that we have to ask, answer. In the same way a Formula One team has to ask exactly the same question, we should be asking ourselves, what is it we value most? And I fully appreciate that for many people, it's simply about survival. But I'm talking about what is it that we place the most value on in terms of this 
spare cash or cash that we can place on other elements of our lives other than just the very basic expenses that we have to have to survive. If we're lucky enough to have spare capacity to do that, where are we going to put it? What are we going to spend that money on? And it might only be a few pounds here and there. But what are we going to do with it? Do we want to invest it in something like a watch? Do we want to invest it in, a, in stocks and shares? How much risk appetite do we have for that kind of investing? And this is the next question that Formula One teams have to answer when they go through this process. When you're trying to decide where you want to put your funds and your budget, one of the big questions is, how risky is this potential project you're thinking about putting money into? I talked about using AI to determine what might give the best return on investment when it comes to various design ideas. Some of those ideas will come with certain risk. Risk in that they may or may not work. They might be expensive, quite a big outlay, but potentially offer a big return in the end. Potentially something that could transform the performance of the car, for example but it's going to cost you a big chunk of your budget to get that onto the car in the first place. How much are you willing to place that amount of your income on something that potentially could give you a big win in the end, but it might be a big risk because you're gambling so much of your stake on one thing. And you have to ask yourself, how much am I willing to risk on this? And again, the two questions are very heavily interlinked with each other. Once we have a very clear understanding of what we place most value on, in Formula One terms, is it the car performance? Is it going to be straight line speed? Is it going to be downforce? Is it going to be the weight of the car? Can we get it down to the minimum weight limit? Is it going to be something more about the team's performance? How can we improve the, 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 the pit stop crew? How can we improve the health and well-being of our workforce, which might be a much more lower risk strategy? You might be able to put a smaller amount of money into improving the health and well-being of your workforce, which may not give you some instant, dramatic, massive, obvious improvement in car performance. It's not like bolting a new front wing on the car that might immediately translate into better lap time. But over the longer term, a happier workforce that's more satisfied, that is more structured, that has well-being, that enjoys coming to work, that buys into the purpose of the team and the mission that you're on. If you've got a workforce that ticks all those boxes, the longer term benefits that will come from that investment could be huge and they'll sustain themselves over a much longer period. So if you're looking about looking at a longer term game, maybe that's a better way to spend your money. If it's all about short-term benefits and you need a quick win, well, then maybe the front wing idea is a better way to do it. So we have to ask ourselves those questions all the time in Formula One circles. And in our own lives, the same kind of principles apply. Where do we want the wins to come from? Are we thinking short-term or long-term in our lives? Do we want to try and build ourselves a career, a business? Do we want to build something from scratch? Have we already got some skills and talents that we know we can utilise, we can leverage to give us a bigger return on our investment later on? But can we utilise those? Do we already have them, but we're not putting them to use? Asking ourselves those kind of questions about where to place parts of our budget or our capacity. And bear in mind, sometimes this isn't always about money. 
this can be about time. You can think of exactly the same process about where to place our time, how to use our time, how to spend our energy, the hours that we have every day whilst we're awake. What do we want to do with them? Where do we see most value? What should we be putting the big chunks of our time on? Can we spread our time over some smaller things that might offer a longer term but smaller impact? Same questions, aren't they? But they are really valuable ones to get right. And if we think about money and time, because let's introduce that into the same equation, they are almost the same things when it comes to utilising them in the best way possible. Getting a return on investment. You can invest your time just as you can invest your money. And you should think about investing your time, as with money, in the most efficient way possible, in the way that's going to give you the biggest value back in the areas that you determine as having the most value in your lives. So those same questions are the ones we need to ask ourselves and answer. And when we've got a very clear answer to those things, we start to build a structure about how we can spend our money slash time. And if we want to manage our budgets as individuals with this imaginary 75,000 that we've got left to place in different parts of our life to give us the biggest return, we need to think about what's the goal here? What's the end game? How far in the future are we looking here? What can we invest now that might give us a bigger return further down the line? And that could be a literal investment. How risky do we want to play it? Things like cryptocurrencies, for example, a massively volatile asset that could give you a big return, a big win, but the risk is high. Are we risk averse or are we happy to gamble some of our money like that because the potential outcome, the potential reward could be so high? And are we willing to take that risk knowing that the potential downside could be equally and opposite in terms of how low it could be? And that can come down to different personalities. Everybody will look at these things differently. Do we want to go for a much more stable asset in terms of our investing? Because it may only give us a smaller return every year, but it might do it for a much longer period of time consistently. And if consistency is something that you think offers much more value to you, well, there you go. You've answered the question. You've built another piece of the framework of where you want to place your budget in terms of time or money. And these little tiny questions that you can keep asking yourselves, and it's even worth writing them down. Answer the question and write it down. And when you've got this series of words, things like high risk, long term, happiness as a value, love as a value, values that you you deem to be worthy, things that will offer you your version of high performance, When you've nailed those different words and you've got all these words written down on a page, even if they're all scrambled up and jumbled around the page, if you write them all down, and you can even do that thing in terms of writing the words that offer most value to you in a larger font, make them bigger so they stand out. We've all seen those kind of diagrams. They work. That's why they do them. If you scribble all this stuff down onto a page and then start to look at it, in front of you. You've got something in front of you to stare at. There is something there for you to start building this framework in which you can then utilize the framework every time you have to think about where you want to place these little tokens, whether it be money or time in your lives. 
And it is exactly the same way that a Formula One team goes about these things. They have to ask themselves, what's our goal right now? What's our target? What are our strengths and weaknesses? What do we need to work on? What are the competition looking like right now? Where are the opportunities? Because those kind of questions start to divert you into the areas where you feel you've got the best chance of winning something if you want to place your money there, if you want to place your investments in that area. Do you want to invest something now that's going to give you a win way down the line? Or are you not looking that far ahead? You can't afford to look that far ahead. You've got to win now. You've got to get some kind of improvement today. Maybe people are relying on you. People are putting putting you under pressure. And we come under those circumstances all of the time as well, don't we? This is not just about people with loads of spare cash and wanting to invest it in the stock market. This is about every single day when you've got spare time or you have got a a little bit of cash in your budget that you haven't yet allocated. And it may even come down to the things that are necessary. And you have to ask the same questions because whilst we can look at it and go, well, we need all of these things to survive. Do we really? How much of those things do we need? Which ones of those basic necessities are the most important? Because actually when times get tough, we might have to literally put those in an order of preference. We might have to literally look at the things that we might have once seen as all absolute necessities and say, well, okay, well, we can't afford to do all of those now because times are hard. I'm not earning as much. I haven't got the same budget and the cost of living has gone up. So where can we economize? So in the same way that we talk about investing our money and putting our budget to work for us in different ways, we can also look in the same way and ask the same kind of questions if it comes to the tough times where we have to start scaling back. And this is exactly the same thing that Formula One teams have had to do. Formula One teams, the big teams have had to do it over the last couple of years in getting themselves down from an astronomical budget to one that many people would still say is astronomical, but one that is now governed by the sport. It's not endless and open-ended. Teams have had to look at how they can economise, where they can save money. I've had to make tough decisions about laying people off. And that would have been hard because everybody in a Formula One team is there for a very good reason. Nobody's just spare. They've all been doing a really important job. So you have to ask yourselves, where can we take a little bit out? Where can we economise? Yes, it's going to cost us and it's going to become a compromise, But if necessity means we have to start scaling back, where can we do it? And this framework that they've come to by asking these questions, these really simple and basic questions, simple on the face of it, but they take a little bit of time to understand and work out. The same question, the very same questions that we can and should ask ourselves on a semi-regular basis. You know, we can do this every month. We can ask ourselves, did we spend our money last month in the right way? Do we spend too much money? Did we break the budget cap? How many people do exactly that? Sometimes through necessity, they're going into debt because they've broken the budget cap. They've spent more money than they had coming in. Is there something that could be done to ask a series of questions that might direct you into an area where you might be able to do better? You might be able to save a little bit of money if that's what you need to do. You might be able to economise somewhere. And it is incredible how we can economise when we really have to. 
if you'd said to a Formula One team a few years ago, you've got to cut your budget down to 145 million, they'd have all said, absolutely no way, can't be done. It can't be done. Not and be successful, it can't be done. And yet they've all had to do it. And in our lives, sometimes, and now is a great example of this, we're all having to economise in certain areas. And the big question is, which areas can we afford to do that while still maintaining the things that offer most value to us, that are most important to us? How can we prioritise our spending and our saving and our economising, as well as our investments in terms of time and money? How can we prioritise all of that to build a framework and a picture that benefits us in the way that we see most value from? Because it won't be the same way that someone else does it. And there are so many of these guides out there, easy guides to saving money, easy guides to making money, get rich quick. There are so many of these things out there, guides to economizing. And I'm sure many of them have some value for a lot of people. But the point is, there is no one size fits all for any of this stuff. When it comes to spending money or saving money, we all have our own version of what will work for us, just like a Formula One team does as well. They haven't all saved money in coming down to 145 million in the same ways. They've all done it differently. And when we finally get access to a transparent picture, if that ever happens, of who spent what and where, it's going to be really interesting to see which teams place the most value on which areas of their businesses and which areas of their performance matrix within the world of Formula One. So I hope that there is a a couple of little nuggets in there that can help us all to think a little bit differently about managing our own money, about how to manage our finances through some really tough times, both in terms of growing and maximizing our performance, but perhaps also in terms of saving a bit of money, economizing, reining things in when we have to before hopefully coming out the other side of this and starting to grow again, hopefully like the economy itself. Look, I hope it helps. There's no financial advice here. This isn't what I'm doing here. And please don't take this the wrong way. I'm certainly not trying to trivialise areas where people were genuinely struggling right now. I know that so many people are. But I'm trying to look at Formula One as an example and think if there are ways that the elite environment of Formula One utilises their money, even though the numbers are off the chart different in terms of what most people will have to do. But the model or the example, the framework, I hope is something that we can all benefit from. There you go. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for sticking with me all the way through. If you have liked it, please, please, please just give me a thumbs up, a like or a follow or subscribe. However it is you're listening or watching this podcast, those things would mean the world. And if you are watching or listening or listening on Apple, uh, I would really appreciate anyone who can take a moment to give me a five star rating if that's what you think it's worth and a little review, just a few words of review to let other people know that this might be a podcast that they could benefit from too. I would really appreciate it. If anyone can do that, I will commit to you that I'll do my best to respond to you all, to repost any of your reviews that you are willing to make and to do my bit to interact with you if you're willing to do your bit to commit and interact to me. Thank you so much, guys. Don't forget to go and check out cargods.com for all those brilliant Christmas gift ideas for the car lovers in your life or even for yourself. Thank you so much to Car Gods for supporting this episode. Thank you for you to listen. Uh, thank you to you for listening. And listen, No matter what you're up to this week, 
Remember this, as always, as a little mantra to get you through your week and through your days. Check in every, every single day, as I do, and ask yourself, did you manage to achieve this? And it's this. Do the right things. Do the things right. And don't forget, don't forget this. Do the right things and do the things right. And just don't forget to do the right things and do the things right. And all I will say is just this. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. And do the right things and do the things right. And whatever you do, just, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm.